Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. We are online at what-s-left.webnode.com. You can find the link to our blog in the episode notes. Please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, and share your favorite episode uh, with people who you want. My name is Andy Lipson. I'm a teacher and socialist uh, here in Oakland. Uh, we're joined again by uh, uh, socialist and community organizer Kenny Cepeda and Jessica, who's an English teacher and teaches writing and environmental humanities at a university in the Pacific Northwest, as well as John Kleisick, uh, author of School World Order, The Technocratic Globalization of Corporatized Education and a frequent contributor to Unlimited Hangout. Um, and again, Eduardo is not here today, uh, but he will be back in about a few weeks. Um, welcome, everyone. Thanks for having us. All right. So today we're going to carry on uh, what has been sort of an ongoing discussion since we had uh, a discussion about transgender rights and transhumanism. And is there a connection between transgender ideas and transhumanism several weeks back? And it really left us moving in a direction of trying to understand what is sort of the philosophical roots of transhumanism. And uh, Kenny keep, keep, keeps asking each episode, so Jake, what's transhumanism? And we're, we're slowly trying to get at that question. <laughs> um, and I think this one, this today's episode is gonna take us a little bit on a journey of metaphysics, philosophy, uh, and well, transhumanism. Um, but uh, maybe Jake, if you wanna say a little bit more about it and then we can proceed. Yeah, so um, just to kind of recap what we did last time was we looked at uh, queer theory in terms of performance identity and something called theme theory, and I tried to, to illustrate how those two theories or philosophies, uh, basically they can blur the lines in terms of your biological identity so that there's, there's no biological basis for your sex or gender identity, and therefore as a result, no biological basis for your human identity. And if there's no biological basis for your human identity, then basically there's no distinction between your human biology and the rest of the matter and nature that we can manufacture uh, into commodities, in particular computer electronics. And so that was the one angle. And the other angle was, which is related to queer theory, uh, is deconstructionist philosophy mm -hmm. and basically looking at how in the world of Jacques Derrida, uh, everything is a text. Uh, texts, they are the signifiers and they refer to something that is signified. But in his world, we can't actually know the signified. So it's basically just texts referring to texts. So basically, for all, for all intensive purposes in terms of epistemology, a human being is a text. And a text is basically just a symbol, which could be a word or a number, but it could also be data in terms of a computer. And so then there's the other element in terms of blurring the, the lines between your biological identity and your metaverse identity, which is just a data construct. And so today I wanted to sort of look at uh, the history of philosophy. Uh, one of the ways that I illustrated the idea, we'll probably focus more on the deconstructionist angle uh, and look at the, the, the concept of, of data and, and textuality. Um, but one of the ways that I illustrated that prior, maybe I'll just go ahead and pull it up now, uh, was this little I Ching uh, symbol. And um, I, don't think I, I don't think I mentioned it last time. The I, I Ching means the book of changes. Okay. And so, uh, you know, nature, if you observe it, right, if there's 
different elements, which is what all these different symbols around that one in the middle refer to. Uh, and they interact and they and they change, right? You know, seasons and things like that. Okay. Uh, the symbol in the middle represents the Tao, which is like the metaphysical order of the universe that all these elements are a part of. Um, and so today, when we look at the art history, uh, I want to sort of look at how art going way, way back in time has progressively uh, drifted away from attempting to representation, uh, represent the, the metaphysics uh, and sort of moving more towards just the, um, the, the empirical categories, right? So one of the things I said last time is with, what Derrida would do is basically he would, he would agree with, or he would, he would like the idea of using these symbols to refer to things, uh, but he would remove the, that Tao from the middle, okay? And so um, in, the, in the East, uh, the, it's called the Tao. Um, in the West, there's a, there's a similar concept that's called the Logos, uh, and in, in Western philosophy, in particular, in, in Christian art, Logos, First John, or uh, the Book of John, uh, when it says in the beginning was the word, it actually, the Greek translation is the beginning of the Logos, okay? And so uh, Taoists would not deify this thing, but some of the art we'll look at will be looking at representations of metaphysics in terms of God, which you can think about it in terms of, right, that concept of Logos, which Heraclitus said the same thing, that, right, all of the, the matter and energy of the universe is always changing, but there's something that, that keeps keeps an order to it. So we can recognize certain patterns, right? So for example, seasons and particular elements that have particular identities. I guess just as somebody who's like, I don't know, I feel like I'm a amateur. Uh, can you, could you maybe just restate or like articulate for dummies, like the, the bird's eye, like how transhumanism and then like how, you get like its relationship and how you get to eaching. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so in transhumanism, again, right. It's, it's basically re-identifying or, or to use the world economic forms language, reimagining uh, what it means to be a human. And so uh, that means sort of, instead of identifying a human in terms of its, I guess, traditional or natural categories, biological categories, sort of um, making those compatible with or sort of co-equal with um, hardware, electronics, but also also data. And th the way that we're going to get there through the art history is that uh, in terms of like empiricism, which so the transhumanism is, right, it's all about measurement, science, data, metrics, right, it's everything that you can measure and um, that is the empirical method. Uh, but what we'll see in the art is that the more you measure, the more the more abstract things get, right? So like the less clear the categories become. So just as a particular example, you have something like, you know, quantum mechanics, right? Like, so first we, you know, Democritus going way back had this idea that everything could be broken down into like the smallest units that he called an atom. And then, you know, we get to modern atomic theory and, you know, we break it down into, you know, uh, atoms with, you know, protons, electrons. 
But if you keep breaking that down, you get to quantum mechanics where basically, you know, a particle and a wave can be two places at the same time, right? And that's by measuring and measuring, you actually sort of deconstruct, to get back to Derrida's term, like, like any sort of a category of identity that, that, that is, you know, natural, okay, or, or, or ob obvious, okay? And so that process, I guess, if we, were, if we want to define what is transhuman, I mean, it really is up to uh, the, the person, right? I mean, it's up to the person how they would like to identify in terms of, do you want to be a cyborg? Do you want to be an avatar? Or something in between. But I mean, like, like the Tao and like this stuff goes back, like how far? <laughs> like a long... 500 BC. Both, both Heraclitus, which is interesting, both Heraclitus and uh, uh, Lao Tzu are, are same century, right? About, about 500 BC, right? But but the idea there is that, right, you could, you could categorize or you could... So when our sensory perceptions of the universe... Uh, the way that we organize those is through ideas and the way we express ideas is through symbols, right? Either words or numbers, okay? And so um, basically, you know, we'll talk about, I'll show you a little diagram, Aristotle's categories in a second, but he would, he would refer to, uh, so last time we talked about something having an essence in terms of its identity. So if I'm talking to, like Andy's there. I can see Andy right now. Like Andy is is his body, right? But he but he's also the name Andy. Okay. And then so with deconstructionism, it just sort of right, it, it basically wants to say that the name that there's that Andy is more the name than he is whatever whatever his body is and, and whatever else I'm trying to refer to with his name. Or like his avatar-ish right like here on zoom yeah right no i mean that's actually right so that's not him that's actually that's actually a good observation right so i'm not actually looking at andy right now i'm actually looking at uh you know an, an image of andy so um and uh i guess i'm i guess maybe this is transhuman right here right because i'm i'm talking about him like i'm talking to his actual person right but really it's just a, a digital representation right and so um, so, so again, to use that analogy, right, so remove, remove that Tao, remove that, that yin yang out of the middle. And it's, it's just those, those broken lines and solid lines, which in a computer are, are zeros and ones, right? Uh, so technically when I'm looking at Andy and his image right now, really, I'm just looking at a bunch of zeros and ones that have been, um, processed and, you know, re, uh, expressed in terms of, you know, pixels that, that look like Andy. Right. But but a, but a trans a transhumanist would say, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between if Andy was physically in my room right now looking exactly the same or Andy in this two dimensional uh, pixelated image or right a 3D metaverse image? Yeah, I've heard um, like uh, Martin Rothblatt like talk about um, like people with pacemakers or breast implants or whatever as like well like why is why are they not cyborgs like that that's transhumanism you know like what's the difference between that and putting a whatever chip in your arm yeah yeah i've you know i've joked myself i uh, i don't know if you can see but you know, it's, it's my, you can't 
but I got scars all over this arm. I got steel in my arm. Okay. And I don't have electronics in there, but I got metal in there. And if I didn't have, uh, you know, if we didn't have that, that type of technology, I wouldn't have this arm, by the way. So, you know, uh, you know, like I said, we talked about last time, where do we draw the line, right? Where do we draw the line between when you've integrated enough hardware or, you know, manufactured parts? Uh, at what point do you become transhuman? I mean, you know, may, maybe I am already. Uh, you know, I had a friend who, um, he had, he had, he's no longer with us, but he, he had, uh, he's actually the guy that turned me on to the I Ching, uh, interestingly enough, uh, I think about it, but he, he had a problem with, uh, he had epilepsy, he had seizures, and, um, you know, they've got, they've got brain-computer interfaces that you can use, and it, you swipe, but when you feel like you're going to have uh, a seizure, you swipe this button, and it, somehow it, it does something with the electrical signals, and it, and it balances it out, right, and, uh, you know, I've often said, uh, which is, which is where a lot of the, you know, early versions of this neurotech are being sort of, uh, promoted, and I've often said, you know, uh, I mean, I wouldn't, if he was still alive and he wanted to get one, I wouldn't be like, no, that's transhuman. You can't do it. I mean, you know, so uh, it's, it, it's kind of a slippery slope argument, you know, and, and that's always used in terms of like a fallacy. But again, why don't, you know, I don't know where, where exactly you draw the line, but, but that's sort of the spectrum that this stuff is on, you know, we're, we're talking about the hardware part right now, but you can also do that spectrum on, in terms of the digital version right so right now right we've got biological person 2d image and then next level 3d avatar or right you know totally organic person uh you know steel plate in my arm and then the next level you know pacemaker and then brain chip and so forth right and um, so and what gets us there though uh and i'll you know try to show this philosophically and historically is changing our perceptions or our ideas about what it means to be human right and you know maybe that's an organic thing that reflects you know the transhumanists would say it's just evolution or perhaps right it is you know a, a, a long chain a, a chain of oligarchs you know sort of pushing us in that direction you know uh sort of promoting these ideas in order that we can we can be objectified and commodified, you know, over, over time. So if I'm looking at this picture here, when I am looking at the picture, um, uh, the, that thing, that term you used essence, like the, the that it's almost like soul or that you like my essence is not that digital representation. It's, it's me. It's like the, the thing I'm feeling and the thing, the, the thoughts and the feelings I have inside of me that, that I would currently call that my essence. But when we look at this thing, the essence is that Tao in the center, I guess. Is that correct? And that those other things are signifiers of elements of that essence, but they are not the essence. The, the essence is contained by that symbol in the center. And when you say Derrida ripping that out, you're kind of, when you when you talk about this transhumanist process, it is, it is acclimating people to the process of their essence being stripped away from them and being more okay with its represent with its re the representation of their essence and more starting to see their own essences as part of it as the signifying thing rather than the thing itself and as if you can do that with people then you can get them to accept if you can get them to remove that center part from themselves essentially that doubt piece you can get them to say yeah go ahead put me up on the cloud that's i'm not even here anyway is that kind of what, that's the that's the process we're talking about yeah 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 and and then and so precisely and then i would say that you know at, at one at one one level 
you know, queer theory moves in that direction by, right, sort of blurring the lines or what they would say is queering or playing with the boundaries of what is traditionally classified as your biological essence in terms of your, your human identity. Right. And, and one more thing, I think this is a sort of a game in some ways, but like if you're driving in a car and someone collides into your car, people say you hit me. And in sense that they've already, they're, they're already starting that process of separating themselves into a, into something else. Right. When you do something like that, when you say you hit me, you didn't hit me, you hit my car. Like that, that sort of connection that people are starting to make itself is a beginning of people having some confusion about themselves, where they end and where something else is, you know, of course, somebody can say, no, I didn't hit you. I hit your car. But, but that is something we often do. You know, we talk about these things as, as us, but that there, in some ways there's been an attempt to confuse ourselves about what is us. Yeah. And, and, um, and I just did it right now when I, when I, you know, and Jessica pointed out, like, that's not you right there. And I said, you like, I mean, you know, I'm talking, I'm hearing your voice. I'm seeing your image, but right. I mean, you sort of already internalized it. And just to use your example of the vehicle, you know, I, I think I mentioned last time, C.S. Lewis, you know, he was born in the late 1800s, died in the 1960s. He never drove a car his entire life because he saw, you know, the early mechanization and industrialization as this dehumanizing process. And he saw the automobile as one of as, as a, like a key part of that. And so he didn't want anything to do with it. And, and as you, you know, the, as you just uh, describe it in terms of the use of language, right? I mean, you know, people do basically, right? I mean, identify with their cars and some people, right? I mean, like it's, it's like their status symbol, right? It's like, you know, and so uh, there's even more layers to it that we could, we could break yeah. down. Kind of imagine some implications of you know having the itchy itching, mm -hmm. and then removing the dial right from the middle, and basically just leaving the what you said the uh, symbols right outside. And, and implications there to me at least are that you can modify in those things you know and or combine them in so many ways, um, and because you are removing the essence, what is what is just what just is. You know, and that is complex, that it is blended, that it is, you know, um, almost hard to pinpoint, you know, you, to codify. Uh, then again, all, all you leave is this potential to just change parts or, uh, it, you know, perpetual uh, modifications of, of, of things, right? Uh, and uh, not grounded in, in, in something that, uh, you know, allows you to just be. So this constant change in, 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 I don't know, at least from my philosophy of life and understanding of the world and understanding my sense of human, that in itself is suffering because you're never satisfied. You know, is this constant, uh, you know, change in, 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 um, in, I think that that is, is more of a comment that is a danger that I see, right? But just like becoming symbols of things and that, that can be again molded in combining in an infinite number of ways. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and, and you know, that's why, you know, like you, meditation and mindfulness and even sometimes no-mindedness is, is big in Taoist philosophy as well, because, right, I mean, to, to name is to dissect and to, tear, and to tear apart at a certain level, right? To analyze is to dissect, but, right, and, and so it's not to be, right? And, and, and so, any way that we can try to articulate it with words or symbols or numbers is 
is not to be the essence, right? And so that's like the that's the idea behind, um, you know, meditation in in in, in a Taoist uh, tradition. And and, I, and honestly, I mean, Andy, we we're talking about this the other day. I mean, like even with like everything I do, like so, like I'm using data and ideas to sort of deconstruct deconstructionism right and it's like wait a minute <laughs> like like I, I was thinking about it the other day it's like you know like so is even my attempt to counter it like just actually another layer of it like you know and I I uh I, I meditate but not like I used to you know what I mean so um so anyways that's just that's sort of that's sort of a, a side thought like you know like even what we're doing right now right is is sort of you know is it Again, where is that? Where is that line on the spectrum of, you know, human to, to trans transhuman, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, I guess it just reminds me of uh, Alan Watts, you know, talking about along the lines of this stuff and the idea of, you know, that that's one of the burdens of being human, right? Being aware that we are aware, you know, and and, and so you know, I think that that's why I see this, you know, that we're trying to understand uh, in that's a burden that probably animals don't have, right? They just are. <laughs> you know, uh, versus, you know, we're just trying to understand everything. And, and, and I see this in both this, you know, the itching and, and then the, you know, the people pushing for transhumanism, but, you know, again, where is the line? You know, I think that's the, the, the important thing that we're going to have to answer individually and then collectively. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, um, let me go ahead and, and, um, sort of illustrate, uh, sort of unpack that a little bit more. Um, so, so I mentioned here that, right, this is sort of the Eastern sort of concept of something that is also it's pretty much understood, you know, any, any culture you can find, right? I mean, even, you know, in, in Buddhism, right, uh, the idea of Dharma is, right, it's sort of the idea of this cosmic law, right, that sort of governs everything or it keeps the order to the universe and i'm sure you can go you can go anywhere even to you know an indigenous culture that i've never heard of right i'm sure they have a have a similar concept um but just to sort of do an east-west kind of uh comparison here uh first thing I'll, I'll note is that so like at the top here you got three solid lines is heaven on the bottom three broken lines is earth okay but these these elements also the refer to other things. In other words, like the, the, the um, these elements sort of are expressed through animals and objects and other things as well, right? And so they come together and I showed last time there were 64 hexagrams and it shows how they sort of interact. So the heaven is, refers to the head of the body. It refers to the, the father and the family. And then it refers to a horse, okay? And then, Earth on the bottom refers to, uh, and then they have colors as well. So heaven is white and then earth is black. It refers to the belly as the body part. It refers to the mother in terms of the family. And it re refers to an ox in terms of an animal. Okay. And so um, if we look in, the, go to the West over here. So, so Plato sort of had a similar idea about the elements, right? And uh, how this concept of this, this, force known as the Logos throughout many Greek philosophical traditions. Um, he called them the forms, okay? And for him, again, like you'll see for him, they represent geometry and geometric shapes. So these are the platonic solids, okay? And so what you have is like three-dimensional shapes with um, each side is symmetrical, 
in terms of the edges and the faces. Okay, but you also notice that these geometric shapes also refer to elements, right, of nature. Okay, so you've got fire, air, earth, water, ether. Uh, and then you've got all sorts of interesting numerological stuff. If you look at the bottom, uh, the degrees for each of them, if you add them up, they all, they all add up to nine. So 720 degrees, seven plus two is nine, 1,440 degrees, four plus four is eight plus one is nine. Okay, so there's also a mathematical component to it as well. Okay, um, but, but, you know, and, and by the way, if you've ever seen like fractals in a com like computer graphics, so that's like basically like if you want to make a mountain in, in CG, it's just a bunch of triangles, right? If the mountain is a triangle, you just sort of layer these triangles over and over, and then you get what looks like a mountain. Same thing with water, right? If you want to graph water, you've basically got a bunch of curved lines or a bunch of circles, and then you layer them, and it ultimately ends up looking like real water, right? I mean, we've, we've all seen it, and that's that's how the how the geometry works, okay? So in both of these uh, ideas, right, both in the East and the West, you can sort of add, you can take nature, okay, and this force that sort of holds it all together, you can abstract it either in terms of like symbols, like broken lines, solid lines, binary code, or you can break them down into geometric shapes and then geometry itself, as it illustrates here, it's numbers, right? It's angles, okay? And so ultimately, Right, you can break down all the phenomena in nature into these abstract uh, categories of, of math and geometry. Okay, and so the, so we're already talking about the ways in which uh, if you get rid of the logos or the Tao in there, basically all you have is data. This is Raphael's um, the School of Athens. All right, and this is a pretty famous Renaissance painting. Um, and I'm going to zoom in here on these two characters in the middle. So this is basically at Plato's Academy. And if you zoom in, you'll see here, this is Plato on the left, and this is Aristotle on the right. And Plato's, you'll notice he's got a thing, one finger up, and he's holding a book, and the book is pointing up. And so this symbolizes this idea for Plato, right, that everything came from the forms, which are these metaphysical things that to him lived in what he called the ideal world. And then they sort of come down into the, the material world and express themselves through those geometric shapes that I showed you. And the way those geometric shapes manifest is in, is in right, plants, trees, and animals, wind and sky and all that type of stuff. Uh, if you look at Aristotle, who is Plato's student, but is basically the opposite of Plato, he's got his one hand out, five fingers pointing out, and he's got a book that's also pointing out. And so the five fingers represent the five senses and they're pointing out into this world. So for Aristotle, he's like, what's up with these forms? Like, where, where, where are these forms? They can't grab these forms. They can't touch these forms. Like all, the only way that you can know um, the, the, the truths of, or the, the logic of uh, the universe is through basically empiricism okay i wouldn't use the term at the time but that's what it is and so to sort of put what we just talked about in context i don't know how good you can see this I, this is my <laughs> i drew this it's a little the puppy dog here in the middle okay but think of this as sort of the instead of like kind of keep that idea the the iching thing in the middle the dow in the middle and then those symbols on the outside okay. instead we're going to look at 
a, a dog in this instance, okay? Yeah, and this is sort of my diagram to represent Aristotle's categories, how he would, how he would, his, his system of logic and how he would categorize or classify um, or name uh, or signify, to use uh, Derrida's term, uh, stuff in, in the, the phenomena of the universe, okay? And so I picked a dog, okay? Uh, so, you know, like I said, keep in mind sort of the idea that I Ching symbol with the Tao in the middle instead of the Tao, I got a dog. So, you know, sort of making, moving from the abstract to like something a little more concrete, okay? And he's he's got 10 categories, all right? And his primary category or his first category is going to be what he calls the substance, okay? And the substance is the object that you're referring to itself. So in this instance, the dog this dog, okay? But for him, this, the substance is broken into a primary category and the secondary category. So the primary category is the essence. So if I had my dog here in the room with me and I could use it, I could say, right, the primary category is the thing I'm holding in my hand, right? The, the animal that's in my hands, that is what I'm referring to. So in other words, to use Derrida's term, that's what is signified. The secondary category is the name. Okay, so the signifier, and then so I have under underneath it dog. But if I were to say dog, right, you probably all have a different type of dog in your head, right? Mm -hmm. And when I do this, and when I teach Aristotle's categories, I always start off right. So everybody tell me, okay, what kind of dog? And everybody's usually got a different one. Okay, so in order to actually refer to something specific, we have to add these other predicates to it. Okay, and so um, he's got. Quantity, so how many? I got one here instead of many. Quality is going to be something, uh, some defining feature. So he's the small dog. It's color, white and black. It smells. It's a stinky dog. Okay. Place, so where is the dog? So it's in the yard. Time, when is it in the yard? In the morning. Action is the things that it can do. So it can bark. It can lick. It can bite. It can run. Passion doesn't mean like feeling like you would think. That's why it's in quotation mm -hmm. marks. It's the opposite of action for, for Aristotle, okay? So what, what can be done to it? So you can pet the dog, you can train the dog, you can feed the dog. The situation is sort of, you know, I, sometimes I think it's redundant with quality, but it basically refers to how it relates to itself. So in this instance, I have it's four-legged, right? It has, has legs, but it's, in particular, it is four-legged. Right, is it has fur, but in particular, it has well hair. It has short hair, right? It's short hair. Uh, the color it's black and white, but it's spotted. Okay, uh, it's tailed. It possesses a tail. Habit is going to be what it can be clothed or dressed in. I have here collared, and in light of our topic, I have here chipped. <laughs> so if you go to you go to the Humane Society, they make you chip your dog, right? And so uh, you know, it's chipped and collared. And then the relation is the relation that it has. Uh, to other things, okay? And so in this instance, right, it has a relationship to its owner, it has a relationship to a bone, and then it has a relationship to a cat. And I like this kind of the cat identifier here because um, as I mentioned previously and last time, I think Jessica asked, what do you mean by essence here? Well, it means that the, the dog is defined by what it is, but also what it is not, you know? And so it's the opposite of a dog is a cat. And most of these categories would pretty, could be, almost the same, except instead of bark, right, I would have meow, but pretty, most of everything else would pretty much be the same, right, mm -hmm. um, and so in order to actually define this 
this dog without using forms or the Tao or Logos or some sort of a metaphysical essence, we have to use all these other categories to sort of define it. Okay. And what, what, what I want to sort of show is as we, as the, the history of art sort of moves in trying to represent those external categories more and more, the substance in the middle becomes more and more abstract until there's really no focal point. And it, and sort of drag the metaphor to this idea of transhumanism and, and queer theory and thing theory and deconstructionism. Uh, it becomes such that you can't tell the difference between the dog and the machine or the dog and the data. Okay. Um, and one more thing I'll add and let y'all sort of jump in comment question is this is also how your behavioral algorithms work. All right. So just put yourself in where the dog is at. And then fill in the blank with all sorts of different data on the outside, right? So quantity, it could be just you individually, but you know, if you're in your Facebook group, right? Now you're now you're one of many, right? Because it has you categorized in a group, right? Quality could be your race, sex, gender, class, okay, place, the location on your device, time is when you're posting things, action is what you're posting or what you're purchasing. Okay, what is what is done to you? The passion is going to be what people send to you or what people what is advertised to you um, and, and so forth. You get the idea. Right. And so so literally in terms of like your digital identity they're they are using this this exact model uh, and sort of just plugging in instead of broken lines and solid lines, zeros and ones and sort of shaping your identity and socially engineering you. Uh, as a result. So let me pause and let y'all. Who wants to come in first there? I'm just curious that, you know, in that digital world, you know, it seems to me that the primary, because it can be anything, right? Like, you know, like, in, because it doesn't have to be true, right? Like, that's why you can be anybody on, online, right? Yeah. So just like Derrida would remove the Tao, right? You would just be left with those ones or those broken line, solid lines or ones and zeros, you know, I guess a transhumanist would remove this primary category of essence and it's just this name, dog. And right, and so it's just this this name is, isn't referring to anything in this bubble in the middle. It's just referring to these other categories. So then you can easily change this name and, and it's not really going to affect because the only thing that would contradict whether this name should, should be something, you know, uh, should refer to the essence or not has to do with whether or not there is an essence, right? So, you know, you could be, if I want to go to the metaverse and be Frosty the Snowman, right? There's no contradiction there because all I got to do is change these outward categories to match the name I gave, right? I don't have a, a, bio, a, a physical body to tell you all right now that I'm Frosty the Snowman. You could look at me and go like, dude, you're not a snowman. Right, and, you know, but in the metaverse, you can do that, right? And so that's sort of that would be, a, I guess, transhumanist slash deconstructionist. Oh, my head's spinning because I have a little microchip, black and white primary substance right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess where my mind's going is like thinking about what changes, like in the example of the metaverse, like the data is the data but there's a big difference right between like me taking my temperature every morning and writing that piece of data on a piece of paper like in my journal 
right? Versus like other people having that data. And yeah, I'm just thinking about like how that then like reflects back and shapes the substance like in really like potentially like violent ways, right? Like as the implications um, that we're thinking about like in the context of, of COVID and uh, 4IR and all that stuff. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but like, it's not, it's not just like neutral, right? Yeah, and add, add the blockchain gamification tokenization to it. So, you know, in the metaverse to do stuff, you got to have these blockchain tokens and these NFTs, and some of them can only be used at, you know, they got the sandbox place and this, these other areas, right? And so, like you said, it's not like just this free-for-all where like, hey, I'm going to make my own data and it's mine and I can change it when I want and be the thing I want. Like your the data that you can represent yourself as in terms of your avatar and the different digital worlds that you can explore are going to be tied to, you know, digital currencies and you're going to be restricted as such. And in the meantime, you're going to be data mined as we, we talked about with the behavioral algorithms. And so those algorithms are going to be sort of pushing you one way and the blockchain is going to sort of be stopping you from going other ways. And so, um, you know, what, what was capable with, you know, the data or the ideas and texts of media and propaganda is going to be uh, almost almost like at a physiological level, right? Because it's not just coming through the TV and then you have time to think about it and then you get to make choices in the world. It's like literally going to dictate or determine like where you can move and, you know, you know if you wanted to change your avatar and, and so forth. And I want to stick with what Jessica's asking about. And I have my own question because I think Jessica, you brought up this the term that started. I started to think about privacy when we've been talking about privacy, and it seems to me that when we talk about in privacy being invaded, that can only happen when the substance becomes represented in the in these ways that Jake is describing on the outside. The substance of itself cannot have its privacy invaded because it is what it is. Like you know, but once you can represent things in terms of place, time, action, passion. Then, then your privacy can be invaded. And, I, and I, when I think about what's in my file, most of the things in paper and file are like time and place. Um, sometimes they've, there's, quali- there's some elements of quality, like my grades or something like that that I might've done here. But I think where, and all of that, if somebody could read that is, is, is an invasion of my privacy. That's my information. It's not me. It's not my, me, I am me, but we, we, th- this, these are signifiers or some, expression of, of me that exists in the outside world um, and are coded back to me. And look, the way the world we're moving to is one where all of these elements can be collected. All of these elements can then be, um, you know, take taken and, and described and taken over by somebody else. And like, essentially, you know, they can do what they want with them, essentially. That's one thing I, I think, um, as I look at this representation. The question that comes up for me in some ways this is how I think is I'm still struggling here to, to understand why we went from I Ching to Plato and Aristotle and Plato looking up and talking about more like a Hegelian thing. And that, that all those icosahedron and dodecahedron and this, why did we take that journey? Cause why couldn't we have just started right here? So can you help me understand what was important? Because the arc of the art history is going to start with, maybe I should have said this beforehand. It's going to start with art that emphasizes 
the focal point being the metaphysical ideal platonic world to sort of a mixture until we get to everything sort of like what we'll call humanist era. And then it's going to go from the humanist to the impressionist, to the impressionist, to the cubist, and the cubist to the abstract expressionist. And each step of the way, the art becomes more and more abstract where by the end of it, there's, there's no, there's no human, anything involved, even, even in the technique that's used to create it. And so, yeah, that's, that's why. Another thing that comes up for me is, is that, you know, it's a very important, you know, like the, as the more emphasis that is put on these things, right, that uh, define the substance, um, then like in terms of humans, right, like the body becomes irrelevant, you know, and, and you know, because like, if, if essentially I'm thinking of the Matrix movie, right, like you, you just plugged in and, you know, into these things that could be broken down and and um, you know manipulated in in a system right that has set parameters right because that's another illusion that I think we're sold about these worlds like metaverse or you know second life right which is another thing where you can that was older but um, where you know that you can do anything you know and but the the, the you know opinions uh i think alison mcdowell maybe said that are coded opinions sorry uh, algorithms are coded opinions you know and but we are sold this sense of objectivity but someone is basically writing the game someone can change the rules of the game you know these are things that alison has brought up you know those are the implications right that when we uh can no longer rely on us right like our substance uh, and we are fully dependent on these things that are outside of us uh, that are also redefined, right, by someone and by others and rather than ourselves. <clears throat> well, and also, I was thinking, too, like, in the extreme version of uploading your consciousness or whatever, like, the body essence gets obliterated completely. But even... You know, if you're sitting around, messing around in, what is it, the sandbox or whatever? That's the Snoop Dogg one, I think. <laughs> and, like, even in that instance, like, your actual body slowly is being obliterated, right? Because you're, you're probably not eating or you're probably gaining a bunch of weight because you're just sitting sedentary all day repeatedly. So even in that way, it's like literally being, like your flesh being obliterated. Yeah, you both are reminding me of these commercials. I don't know if anybody's seen them for the for the Oculus, you know, metaverse video games. And there's one nonstop on Twitter. Like every other post is Oculus. Did you see the one where the people are? There's like these several people playing a game together, but they all got their goggles on. They can't see each other. And it's this song that's like, "I can't relate to you. I can't relate to you." So the song is like. Hmm. They can't relate to each other, their their essences, their substances. They can't, but they can relate to the game or to the avatars in the game. And there's another one where there's these two two guys and they're playing this game and they're, you know, they're in the in the verse and they're like friends and they play this game. They're like, yeah, great job, man. They're like, yeah, and they start celebrating. And then they both hear the neighbor in the, in the apartment next to him making too much noise. And it's them. And they go, hey, shut up over there. And then they go, ah, I can't stand my neighbor. You know, so it's like, you you know, you don't like, 
it's, it's basically like you're saying, like you're devaluing human contact and the substance and the essence part of being a human. Like you don't like your human neighbor, but you'll love him when he's an avatar in the metaverse. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm, I didn't really know where this episode was going, and I, I still don't actually know where this episode is going. Um, but and that's fine. But I find myself going. The question of who am I just keeps coming up as I look at this thing. Like then I'm thinking about that one thing of like, was it Descartes that said, "You think, therefore you, therefore you are," and and it really is interesting because that who am I question is also the question that they posed the beginning of the digital ID commercial. Where they want to say, "Who are you?" But they put, but they answer, they put that answer all in terms of those things on the outside of that dog, you know. And it's what I think is good about this. I don't even know what to make of it, but I I do think it's good to almost remind myself that that I'm not defined by all those things outside of me. Outside of me, I'm I'm that picture of the dog you have, which is in the which is in the oval, you know, like um, which is some sort of synthesis of physical and experiential and thought. Um, but, but none, but none of those things outside of me are really, that are on outside that dog. There's, they're not the dog. I think, I feel like it's important to rem remember that. Cause that it's almost like I daily I'm told differently and daily I'm reminded to think of myself almost differently in terms of just stuff that's really outside of me, including my data. Yeah. And you have to like, in order to treat somebody in a shitty way, you have to abstract that whatever's in the oval, right? Like to an extent, you know, mm -hmm. unvaccinated. Okay, that's a, a data point, right? As opposed to like the person in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm reminded of, you know, like, uh, you know, during uh, the uh, early world wars, uh, you know, they often found that it was hard for people to shoot when you when they got close enough to see the person's face. Right. And it sort of illustrates what we're saying, because when it's when the when the the, the people are far enough away, they look just like little dots. You know, you can do it because what you probably have in mind is the enemy and all those out, those out exterior categories that make the enemy bad and dehumanized and, you know, objectified in a way that it's exposable. But as soon as you can actually see the human face. Right. Which which is not a process of naming, but a process of experiencing. Um, you know, all those other categories that you were willing to kill the person over, right, uh, are, are suddenly uh, jammed. The signal is jammed. So. That's why warmongers love drones, right? Because it's a video game. Mm -hmm. Quite literally, right? And there's that, what is that movie with Matthew Broderick? Did you all know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Uh, war games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, shall I shall I move move yeah. to the art, or are there other? I don't, I think this piece of art is brilliant right here. So I'm. I I'm love pretty... the dog drawing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it could be like I, a bumper sticker. I used, to, I, I used to doodle and stuff. I used to paint, uh, uh, you know, colored pencil, and uh, I've done it in a while. Uh, this is not my best work, but. Oh, wow, that's pretty good, man. I love your, I love your text. Your signifier. <laughs> I I got decent handwriting too. They say. Mm -hmm. Let me. Uh, I got. I think I got to close this and redo it to get back to my artwork. Yeah. All, right. all right. So I'm gonna take us to like the Byzantine period first. All right. And so what I'm just gonna sort of illustrate is that the first 
the artwork is going to go progressively from art that is trying to represent what is being represented in uh, the figure of Plato here, uh, and then sort of bringing in the, so this is the idealist or the metaphysical, right, pointing up to the Tao or the Logos, and then we're going to move increasingly to this empirical expression, looking at those external categories and that, that finger up, that Tao or Logos, that essence sort of, sort of going away slowly, okay? So, uh, so this is some uh, Byzantine art. I think it's, what is it, Rabula? Rabula Gospel, okay? And this is sixth century Byzantine art. So a couple of things to note here is, um, if I had to ask you where the focal point is, right, I'm guessing y'all would, right, point to the top, right? And if you look at, right, so the centerpiece, like where your eye goes is that figure of Jesus up there on the top and the angels around him, okay? And then if you look down below it, all the people down there, they're all, most of them are pointing up and looking up, right? Mm -hmm. There's two people that are looking down at the crowds and then there's uh, one person that's looking out at us with her his or her hands up, okay? I think it's a female, mm -hmm. okay? And so... Another thing to note here is that, uh, you know, the, the Byzantine artists, they, uh, uh, I shouldn't be talking about them because my dog's not any better, right? But if you look at this, right, it doesn't look very realistic, right? They, they, these, these are not, uh, these do not hearken like, you know, uh, realistic human images, okay? But, but the idea here is not just that it's what is important is up, meaning, right, in that metaphysical world, right, the, in that world of the Tao or the Logos, okay? Um, and so your eye goes up and you have this heavenly figures up there. Uh, but the reason that they are basically, you know, uh, sort of, you know, ethereal looking uh, is the idea that what, what is important is not here, right? The, the, so Aristotle's five fingers, the stuff in this world, right? Those external categories are not what's important, right? What's important is, right, that, that's that essence, right? That's spiritual or that metaphysical essence, okay? And then if we move forward, uh, and we're, we're jumping, you know, many, uh, you know, decades, if not centuries at a time, sometimes here, uh, if we move forward to like early Renaissance period, this is uh, Giotto's uh, The Morning of Christ. Okay, and so what you'll notice is, I should go back for a second, notice also that there's pretty much no landscapes, right? There's just these people and they have halos. So there's another, right, uh, sort of, you know, that, that other world, right? That metaphysical world is sort of there, but you can sort of kind of see mountains back here. Mm -hmm. Right, but the but barely, right? So if you move to this Renaissance era, now notice it's pretty much the opposite, right? Like um and what do we move in terms of I don't know the time frames but so before it was six hundred BC century. Wait, yeah. can you say what the other one was? Byzantine? Was that BC that or six, that was sixth century? Okay, six hundred AD, and then AD. this one would yeah. This and this one would be what? Well, 1300, something like that. Yeah, so I think I thought, okay, yeah. So like six or 700 years later. Well, the focal point now is down, right? It's Jesus's body, okay? I believe this is after uh, he's taken down off the cross. 
uh, notice that right all the people instead of there's there's angels up top high again, but the angels are looking down, right, and the people are looking down, mm-hmm. okay, and the people are starting to look more human, right? They're they're starting to look a little more realistic, uh, and also notice that now we have uh, some landscape, right? We've got a mountain that's pretty clear uh, right behind them, then there's some more mountains off in the back, um, and a tree. Uh, still sort of has, you know, the, um, you know, that, that sort of surrealist sort of uh, background. Um, but we're, right, we're, what's becoming more important is this world, the world of the five senses, right? The material world, as opposed to the metaphysical world of the, the Tao and the Logos. Did we, did we name what that other picture was? That was Giotto's, um, the morning of Christ, sometimes referred okay. to as lamentation. Um, okay, this one's 1510. So fifth, this one's 1500s. All right, all right. Well, this one says 1450. Well, it's sometime between the 1400s and late 1400s, early 1500s. Okay. okay. Notice here now that um, now that people are looking a lot more realistic. Okay, so again, five senses becoming more important. They still have halos, but just barely, right? It almost, right? almost fades into the background, okay? And then in the background, uh, outside of the window, we have something we haven't seen in any of the paintings yet. So we have landscape, but we also have cities, mm-hmm. right? We have domiciles. So like the, not just people in nature, but people, nature, and the works of human hands, right? Like industry, like architecture. Okay, so now we're going to jump way forward to the Impressionist era. If you all are familiar with Impressionism, which sometimes is called pointillism, when I was a kid and they would do the, they had a, you might have done it as well, in an art class, like third grade, they wanted to do pointillism and you had to do the dots and make the picture. And I was like, well, just color it in. <laughs> it take, take it all day to make these dots. So what's the point of the dots? The point of the dots comes comes out of the philosophy of British empiricist David Hume. But David Hume's empiricism gets us to a place that's basically skepticism because Hume basically is a guy that doubts the the objective uh, knowability of causality, right? He says stuff like, you can't, you don't know, you can't experience cause and effect, like, because you, even if you can repeat an experiment. So if I take this pen, pencil, and I pick it up and I drop it, I can I can say, okay, every time I pick up the pen, right, if I if I let it go, right, the effect it will be to fall, right? There's a cause and effect relationship between dropping it and it falling. Okay. And he says, well, you know, you can't, you don't really know that in the absolute because you can never experience the future can only experience the present and the past. So you don't know that it'll do it again next time, right? You can keep doing it forever and ever, right? And even though I'm doing it, I've got you know, 10 examples in the past and I can do one in the present right now, but the, the future is always out in front, right? And so for him, right, he's saying, if you want to be objective about it, you can't actually know that, right? You know, in the, in the meantime, you know, go ahead and throw a rock at his head and, and see if he ducks, right? But the, but the point is, right, he had other ideas about, he inverts the idea of, so for Plato, ideas and things come first, and then sensory perceptions and things are, you know, are of lesser importance. 
Hume is the opposite. Okay, he's saying that the ideas are stuff you just come up with to explain your sensory perceptions and your sensory perceptions he called impressions. All right, so the idea of pointillism is that the further back you are, it looks like whatever it's trying to represent. This looks like people at the park, but it doesn't work good on this image if I zoom in because it, it just yeah. the, the quality of it. But if you were to go to the to the museum and walk up and get closer and closer. This is the the impressions, all those little data points. You, you can't really see make anything out. So basically, what you're what it's suggesting is that your mind, right? Like Hume is saying, fills in the blanks. Mm. Your mind, right? It's and this isn't actually people here. It's just dots all over the place, right? It's just atoms all over the place, and your mind, you get that sensory perception from the colors, but then your brain fills in the pictures, right, with, with the ideas, which are, which to him are secondary. And so if I can play this, this is, um, you might remember this from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, right? yeah, the, the dude who's looking at the picture. Yeah, and it's, I mean, this will show it better than I, I could just zoom in on it, but it won't work. I tried it. So I'll just play it. And so you'll sort of see what, what I'm suggesting here. I guess that is the whole painting because there it is. It's not yeah. cut off what I just showed you. It's only it's about a minute and 20 seconds. Yeah. So every time it gets closer, you're gonna, it's going to become blurrier and blurrier. It's also going to flip back to show his face in between to sort of represent that it's his mind that it's filling it, filling in those, yeah. those spaces. It's going to zoom in on this little girl's face. So sort of moving from this idea of, right, these dots or these atom points, these data points, uh, sort of in our mind filling in the blanks, move forward, I guess, eh, about maybe a century or half a century or so to the Cubist era, which is, you know, during the period of the World Wars, early 20th century. Uh, and what we have is uh, sort of a, a, a reiteration or, or a retake on these platonic solids. And that is, instead of just dots and points underneath, well, we have, uh, this is Marcel Duchamp, uh, nude descending a staircase. Uh, so this artist, uh, the representation is here, um, supposed to be a woman walking down the stairs. And I, can can you all see it? Yeah, I can certainly suggest, see some, I see a motion downward. Right. And so, right. So it's, so it's, here's sort of the face. Here's like the arm and then sort of elbow bent here. And then here's sort of like the wrist on the hip. Here's the hip, this circle. Okay. And then here's the legs. And then like, this is this, it's a, a repeat of that image 
layered on itself over and over and over and over again from the top of the stairs down to sort of represent the motion. So what you're looking at is just geometry. So again, right, these platonic solids, two-dimensional representation, right? Same kind of idea as the Impressionism. When, I'm, when you look at that painting of the park, what's there is not people, it's just dots. Well, same thing here is, it's sort of inverted though, right? So like what we see immediately is not the person. What we see immediately is the squares and the triangles and the, and the platonic geometry. And then, and then we actually have to, we have to sort of make an effort to see the figure walking, walking down the stairs, all right? And, and this is, has sort of a, still an aesthetic, like, element, sort of an elegance to it, right? I mean, once, once you get the idea of what it's trying to represent and sort of see the motion and the, and the, 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 the human figure underneath the geometry. So you just kind of plucked out. Now, we were moving more and more towards in that materialist, empirical direction but now you just kind of like plucked out those figures the icosahedron and the tetrahedron and and fused them with art and now you're talking about now the logo the logos or the what's the other term you use the Dao. the Dao fusing with it so what's going on here because now that 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 vision of of looking upward to bring it, you know, that was all that was moving ever more downward and tr heaven was, was leaving the scene, you know, and the, the world of ideas was leaving the scene, was becoming more material world. So now you just brought that, the guy who's like, OG idealism and he, and you're putting those, those terms, like he's putting Plato in here. So what, why, what does that mean? Well, it's Plato, but not in the sense of like, uh, a, metaph a metaphysics, right? So in other words, um, think of these in terms of, so take the data points and just give them shape as opposed to the start with these universal transcendent forms that are like perfect in the, in the metaphysical world, the Tao or Logos, and then they come down. It's really just, right, you're, you're using your five senses to observe and then by observing and categorizing and breaking it down into smaller and smaller parts, eventually what you have is individual data points, but also geometry, right? Like, like patterns, but it's just, it's, so again, it's like, think of it with like, to go back to the, the Dow here, right? It's kind of like removing this part. So pretend like, I mean, in the representation of, uh, of the platonic solids, I don't have the logo, I don't have these around the logos, mm -hmm. right? So the logo, imagine these are around the logos and you move the logo, pull the logos out and all you have is these shapes as, as we sort of suggested here, which, you know, it's, the parallel is that these trigrams are the, are the geometric shapes and you have the Tao in the center and you pull the Tao out. Mm -hmm. Okay, when you have the Tao in or you have the logos in and you have the geometry or the data, what you get is something that looks, that looks human. Right. But when you pull it out, right, because it's sort of the, it's sort of a, a merger of, you know, the finger up and the finger out, right. As, you know, sort of a balance of the two, like a synthesis of the two. Right. Mm -hmm. I was going to suggest earlier too, when we were talking about the, the dog, which is that, um, you know, 
ultimately, right, we, the essence is who you are and you're not defined by the categories, especially because the categories can change. But at the same time, right, like we recognize each other based on some of those external categories, right? Like if you change one of them from the dog to the cat, like the meow, right, everything else all being the same, but that external category does sort of, there's sort of a dance in, in, in between the two, okay? And so... In the example of the Impressionist painting is part of like the scary, well, I think scary <laughs> parallel also that it's not just representative of like external data points, but it's also, it could also be us, like our bodies. I think you said at one point, like we're just atoms, right? So... Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, and we're, the way that we're talking about essence, like it's a human body, for example, or a dog is more than the sum of its parts. It's, it's more than just those atoms. Right. Um, but what a, I don't know, like what a transhumanist, is that partly like why if you view a human body as just all of these data points or all of these little pinpoints or I don't know, oil, oil painting probably uh, on a sheet, like you can just rearrange them. Like you can rearrange pixels, right? And you can make it whatever you want and you can make the man a woman and you can make the, you know, hair green or whatever, right? Yeah, and, and just to sort of continue that analogy, uh, and, and let's talk about, you know, you know, we're, so we're sort of talking about like metaverse avatar rearranging the data there, but let's talk about the physical body and breaking that down into just little atoms, little molecules. But those molecules, right, as, as Andy has much experience with, right, are ultimately when what makes biochemistry work the way it does is ultimately it's geometric shape, right? When you talk about antibodies, Right. And, and their responses, it has to do with something that's it's called allotropy. Right. And basically the it's like it's basically lock and key or nook and cranny. Right. So you have two proteins or, or two molecules and based, based on the shapes, when they when the one that's got sort of the key goes into the other one that's got the, the you know, the lock part or, you know, the, the nook and the cranny come together, then the chemical unlocks. Right. And so. If you can if you can break the human body down into atoms or data points and then you can graph them geometrically and you can figure out the functions of the geometry then just like you could do with data in an avatar right as we're doing with some of these gene therapies right we can re we can turn your body into a factory that produces spike proteins based on the shape of a particular messenger protein right is going to express these other geometric shapes which have particular chemical effects that affect the, the nature of, of the body and, and, and how, how it functions. Or you could just like pierce someone's ears. Like, <laughs> even like these really simple, like, I'm like thinking about all my tattoos now. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I mean, you know, I don't know, I, I used to have a nose ring and an eyebrow ring and a bunch of earrings and a bray and I used to have all kinds of stuff. I got 14 well, tattoos. Jessica, can you, can you say more, what, what does that mean in terms of your thinking about your tattoos? like? So you make, can, you, can you say more about that? Filling in a pixel, you know? Mm. Or like painting a... 
sell. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about like literally like rearranging the body and, and yeah, like it's, it's taking me back to our conversation a couple of weeks ago about um, like transgenderism and uh, it, you could kind of see that, you know, as a form of, body modification right like there's a whole set of piercing tattoos uh what do you call like the ear stretching you know um and just the spectrum right like all the way to have you ever heard of cyberpunk what's that cyberpunk have you ever heard of that like the video game no it's like a movement it's been around for a long time so punk is like, you know, like you say, piercings and tattoos. Cyberpunk is like, dude, if you're going to put, you know, a safety pin in your ear, why not have a computer in it? You know, yeah. that's, and it sort of, you know, it feeds into, it plays into this, this whole, you know, transhumanist thing. That's pretty, pretty much what it is. And like wearables and then like beneath the skin wearables, which I know like some people are thinking about like, like vaccines and stuff, like chips, but also, you know, um, there's already uh, implants like for contraceptive purposes, right? Like in your arm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's, there's plenty of examples to draw on. Mm-hmm. Kenny, do you have any thoughts on it? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I see the argument, you know, and, you know, I, I, I tend to understand, um, you know, this like move, right? Like from the metaphysical that you were talking about to the more science based and like measurable empirical world that we are at right now. Cause you know, even like at the Renaissance where the images were more realistic, right? There was also um, uh, a use of geometries, at least in my understanding, to draw those faces, right? Like to be a good drawer, you have to use geometry. You have to use circles, triangles, and then give shape to those things. You know, you just don't freehand, you know, it, it's, it, there is science behind a, a realistic, Mm. Uh, you know depictions of humans uh, or nature in general uh, and that translates into the digital right the rendering the, in, in video games and, you know there's more realistic I mean, we will remember those video games I used to play soccer FIFA and like the players were more square in the face but they were able to add more triangles in the images right and to make them more round actually more human-like um, and so I mean, I, I see that, you know, that that progression and this complete uh, departure from the metaphysical into the just the supposed empirical uh, truth, you know, of some sort, you know, and, and, and I think, uh, you know, that is where the danger is, right, of just, you know, getting down to the nitty gritty and realizing that it's, it's nothing, you know, and, and it's not in devaluing it completely. You know, because I, I personally think that's, for example, as a Marxist, you know, and I think that's something Alison McDowell alludes to often, that we are so focused on the material, right, that that we forget that there is these other things like the spiritual. And, you know, because for me, that, for example, the spiritual is the, the, the things that we can't explain, the things that just are like, you know, like my mother knowing, you know, uh, you know, that when something's wrong, you know, and you can probably, you know, uh, you know, break it down to, you know, um, hormones or pheromones or whatever, or behavioral science and, 
you know, these things, but things, that's the way just, that's just the way it is. And it's been, you know, like a mother knows when, when something wrong with their kid, you know, and, and so again, the risk of all this and this hyper uh, focus on this empirical, you know, measurable and um, things that could potentially be manipulated, you know, is that, is losing that, you know, and, and I think it's it, it, the, the the that's why I think Marxists have gotten lost on that shit in the past because they've have tried to engineer society, you know, like in, in that you know socially too. Because I I don't think I think this goes beyond just the physical cyber thing, mentally, right? Psychologically, you're engineering society. Like that's why I hate liberal politics, and a lot of right wingers do too. You know, like in that they refer to as the PC culture, right? That you, you can't be human, you can't be flawed. You have to say and do the exact thing, you know, as if you're a part of a cult, you know. And, and so, I think that there has to be a balance somewhere, you know. And 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 I, and I don't think, uh, you know, us as Marxists too, we fail to recognize that we are just science minded, you know, as if we can measure everything. And, but that's why I value, uh, you know, the group uh, uh, teachers and students for choice, right? Because like, it's about breaking down those things that create these binaries, right? And, and allowing nuance to flow, you know, and, and that's, you know, what I've learned that that's how I think the world will be changed, you know, by allowing nuance in people to be human, flawed, you know, that this perfect, designable, you know, things that are curated through, again, people who decide what is correct and what's incorrect. And obviously that's complex, but, um, you know, um, I hope I made my point about that. Mm -hmm. that yeah, yeah, and it, you know, it reminds me of um, what you all were talking about when you start, sort of were looking at, uh, and this is the same time period, right? The, the Diego Rivera and, um, oh, who was the other guy? Jose Orozco. Right, and, um, you know, um, Certainly, Rivera was playing with the Cubist tradition. Um, I can't remember so much of Roscoe. And actually, there was one painting in there uh, with the hands coming up out of the ground. And Alice was talking about the crystals in there. If you go yeah. back and look at that, those are the platonic solids, the icosahedron, dodecahedron, et cetera, if you, if you look at them. But what, what, what was in there, what I remember hearing you all discuss was sort of this divergence or this, this difference in terms of like, you know, one one of the artists, uh, you know, Rivera basically more optimistic about being able to sort of merge with, you know, industry, with, you know, industry, but thereby industrial machinery, right, mm -hmm. and technology, and, and, and Orozco, you know, sort of, you know, like, going in the other direction, like, like, you know, wanting to preserve something that's, that's human, and, you know, when we, when we talk about, you know, the, uh, the, the lockdown left or whatever you want to call it, right? The, the, the lefties that are all about the, the mandates and the jabs and the lockdowns and, you know, just, you know, I, I think that's like what we're touching on here and that, you know, sort of that divergence is, this is the crux of it, right? It's just, it ultimately comes down to, you know, those who, have, who basically think that or have an overemphasis on technology and industry as, a tool and as long as the right people have it and we can we can use it to you know create some kind of utopia or whatever uh and and other people that you know are 
wary that if we go down that road, that what happens is we, we ultimately are dehumanized, right? And that even though we might be able to have, you know, control the means of production and, and redistribute wealth and all this type of stuff, we lose our humanity in the process. And um, so, no, I mean, I, 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 your point is, uh, you know, right, right on. Yeah, I mean, and again, I think in the same, I'm thinking like of a term like autonomy and autonomy can only be preserved when you feel like you have control of your of your essence and your substance. The more it, the more it is, the more it comes outside of you, the less control that you have. And I can see how getting people to think of themselves more and more and to start to think of their own identities as existing outside of themselves and to separate themselves from a sense of an inner identity, which, you know, Kenny tries to name in terms of feeling from his mom, like how we might name it, we would be different, but we all could say, I think I know what it is. You know, I just don't know if I can name it. Um, but it is actually something that is ours, you know, and the minute you start to put all these the minute, you make it, make it turn it into a science. It can be taken from you. Um, and the more you to make it a science, the more it can be take, I do, I, I can kind of see how it, it, it makes it possible to be taken from you and, and pulled outside of you. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm reminded of, you know, the, my metaphor with the stick, right. And, you know, what do you call it? You know, we don't call it anything when someone's trying to hit you with a stick and you're, you're blocking the stick, but it's something that's, that's real. Right. And there is the paradox is that when it is, it's, it's most authentic and it's most autonomous and it's most, you know, it's pure or it's in its essence, so to speak, uh, is when it has less names and less categories and less numbers and it's, and it is a genuine experience. And that's very, that is very Taoist, right? I mean, you know, it's, uh, I don't, I don't like, I don't like to call it skeptical because they, they're referring to something real. Skeptical would say that I don't even know if there's anything there. Right. And so, uh, but that, that sort of is, you know, the paradox, but, but at the same time, you know, we are bound by symbols and language and words and numbers. So we you can't really get rid of them either. Right. And, you know, yeah. just like with the transhumanist thing, like where does, where, where is the line between human and, and, and transhuman and where is the line between, you know, your, your essence or your Tao and, you know, uh, an infinitely dissected, you know, list of categories that turns into, you know, shapes and numbers without any sort of focal point or, you know, anything coherent, right? Or human. Um, and maybe this maybe this will help sort of uh, illustrate what I you know, so you when you got confused about like the the geometry yeah. in here. Okay, so so another thing is that let's look at um, uh, Picasso's Guernica. Okay, and this is World War. Two-ish, I'm say that it's a painting of a of, of a bombing in um, this, uh, like 1937, 38, or something like that. Okay, and what you'll see here is uh, lots of geometry, but very little symmetry, right? And remember the Platonic solids—they're all yeah. Everything is uniform and, and symmetrical and balanced and right. And even aesthetically in terms of like, you know, the eye, you know, the things like the golden mean, the golden ratio, like psychologically for some reason, right. And this goes back way before, like we even had a 
field of psychology, like it's known that, right? I mean, not only do those do those patterns show up in nature, like in, in spirals and shells and things like that, but aesthetically, we tend to like we like we tend to like those. They are they are aesthetically pleasing. Those those I don't want to say algorithms, but those shapes. Okay, those that would be more of like geometry coming down from the metaphysic versus this type of geometry which what he's what he's sort of trying to represent here is that it's that it's that other strain he's he's sort of more in the line i guess of sort of a roscoe because like this is you know, it's very grotesque and it's very disorganized it's very chaotic and what he's showing is that you know everybody that thought um you know to sort of sort of illustrate the the uh the chain right so first we had um you know Byzantine art where the emphasis is on God and metaphysics. And then you have, right, well, we just want to focus more on what's going on down here. And then eventually after you have, you know, the, the Medicis were corrupt and then you had uh, the Protestant Reformation and then you also had, you know, the Copernican Revolution. And so people just could not trust the church at that point. So then going back to your guy Descartes, he's so so how can we know anything? We can't trust any of the authorities we've had. We can't trust the the, the, dog, the books and the dogmas, right? So he's like, well, we can do it with just reason. And this whole thing of what he does is he tries to doubt everything. But the one thing he says is he has to conclude is that in order to doubt, I have to think. In order to think, I have to exist. So therefore I am, right? I think mm -hmm. therefore I am. And so from there, now he can deduce, Right. I mean, it's probably the most useful thing he gives us. But he, from there, he's trying to, OK, I have something solid to, to, to trust. And so now it's reason and empiricism, reason and evidence without dogma or the church. And, and in some ways, I mean, he, he wanted to figure out a way to rationalize God. And, and, he, and he, he did that or he, or he made his efforts. But when we get to Hume in the Impressionist era, now we're reason and evidence without God. And then when we. We take that to now the Cubist era. Well, what happens? We we're, we take reason and evidence without any metaphysics, and we get World War One and World War Two. We get all this right. I mean, mass death in numbers that we could have never conceived of. In addition to you know all the dehumanization of you know industrialism and, and, and so forth, right? And so that's what he's showing here, right? And so it's ge it's geometry, right? But it's there's no order to it, right? There's no balance to it. It's what, what he's what he's also trying to represent is, you know, with the, the advent of like railroad and the airplane, uh, you know, perspective was changed. Like when you're on a railroad, you can see things moving really fast in ways that you could never you could never visualize. When you're up in a plane, you can see a bird's eye view of things in a way that you never could. And so, like if you look at this bull. Like we're looking at the front of his face and the side of his face at the same time. So your perspective is all is all messed up, right? You're looking at more than one thing at the same time. And so the, the geometry is there, but it's not grounded in a Tao or a Logos because there's no order and there's no harmony and there's no balance, right? And that's because, right, we tried to take the Tao out of it and we tried to just measure and measure and measure. And what we did was we got smaller and smaller to atoms. Then the atoms, we tried to, you know, sort of use configure them into you know, manipulable shapes. And then what we got was World War One, World War Two. Okay, and so does that, maybe that puts that in a, in a better context. Um, Do you know, like, are, is there a particular significance to the animals, like the bull and the horse and? 
Oh, I don't know that. I, 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 you're asking the wrong guy. I, I wouldn't. There might be. I really don't know. I really don't. So I, you, I don't even. I've always wondered what this thing is up here. Is this like the sun with a light bulb in it? So is it like you know? It's like it looks to me like it's trying to be in the sun, but it's you know sort of like nature and machine mixed together. I, I could be wrong. You know, I, I really yeah. don't know. So are you saying that this Picasso is a bit of a divergence from the general direction that we've been descri describing? Or a continuation, um, sort of a divergence. Okay, I mean, so he's so he's using he's in the tradition, going in the same direction, but he's using this tradition to sort of critique the direction we're going. Okay, now I don't know what his what his you know theological or philosophical beliefs were in terms of a metaphysics. He might have been an atheist, probably. And I I don't know that, but you know, it's, it, sort of the reason why I took two cubist paintings is because right this one. It's trying to show something more of an aesthetic, something more of a balance, right? And it's trying to, in some ways, he's sort of divergent from, from this type of cubism, okay? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I would argue that, you know, even this, you know, I mean, it's, it's, got, it's got an aesthetic appeal, but it still is very chaotic. It still is, there's, you know, even the amount of balance it has is, you know, still blurring perspective. Um, and, and, and so I would argue that in some ways they're, they're in the same vein, but, you know, sort of just, you know, maybe sort of veering off a little bit. I've never thought, though, about like, I mean, like, for example, the Impressionist one and then Guernica, they're they're both like people in parts in a way, even though the Impressionist one is like seemingly so peaceful and it's got the pastel colors um, and this one is so much more like gory and warlike, right? Um, but I never quite thought about it that way that they, you know, in a way that they are both like people reduced to just parts. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's, a, I mean, you know, so, you know, the, the, um, the park painting, uh, the Impressionist painting, you know, there's still a lot more optimism, right? I mean, was there's still kind of like on a, we're going in that direction of right. I mean, we are we're turning people into reducing them, atomizing them, et cetera. But there's a there's still an optimism about it because you know, sort of we're there's this this boom in discovery in, in science and industry, right? And we haven't really got to you know <laughs> the consequences quite yet, right? And so uh, that's an interesting point to to note, just the the tone uh, of the two. I was just having a quick thought, you know, in terms of. You know, because like science pretends to be this absolute, right? This, uh, you know, this is it. This is what it is. This is the one. And like that even, you know, distorts relationships, right? When we when we think we know it all and we think this is the absolute and you don't allow, you know, in an interpersonal relationship, um, you know, something to be other than that one thing, right? Because then it becomes just you know, that competition of who imposes that one thing, you know, uh, when there's uh, no nuance and, and, and fluidity of understanding allowed. And so I don't know if, you know, kind of that fits here, feel free to cut it, but I, I, that's what it's in my mind, you know, about, you know, again, just this pretentiousness and arrogance of, you know, Western scientism, you know, and, and, um, and just the absolute truth and, you know, reality is this you know, type of thing. And I guess, yeah, I think that is useful because I think, Jake, then maybe 
you're saying that instead of seeing the heavens as the place where truth is, we've been, we've been seeing a philosophical uh, or a, a move more towards the ground and towards humans and, and the earth is essentially bringing us towards truth. And you're saying this Picasso is like, and look what it got us kind of thing, you know, kind of there is it, embedded within it. And this Picasso is like kind of the, it's like the, it's run aground, like you said, because it's led to this finding God in, in humans, if you will, has led us to this. Yeah, I mean, look, transhumanists, there's tons of them. I'm, I'm sure I'd probably said it to you on an episode in the past, but, they, you know, they, a lot of them, especially some of the most prominent, they use religious iconography and metaphors, and they literally say stuff like, we'll be gods when we can merge with our machines. So it's like, you know, so you, so you got Ray Kurzweil, who said that the more that we merge with our machines, we'll become more godlike. You got Larry uh, Page and Sergey Brin, who said that they want Google to be the mind of God. You've got this book here by uh, Yuval Noah Harari, which is Homo Deus instead of Homo sapiens. So instead of man to wise, man to God. And then you've got um, the way of the future chur uh, church of artificial intelligence. And then you've got this, the goddess. Uh, uh, Sophia, which is the name of, you know, it's the goddess of wisdom, which is the name of the Hanson robotics uh, android, okay, and, you know, I, there's, there's others as, as well, and so, you know, by, by, you know, trying to get the metaphysics out of the picture, you know, what we ultimately end up with is instead of, you know, putting the church and the priest and the metaphysics out of the picture, you end up with scientists sort of putting on a priest's robe and becoming, you know, the, you know, the arbiters of, you know, the, the new absolute, which is, you know, the algorithms and the data and the geometry and the, the, the atoms and right. All of the building blocks of the, of the material world. Uh, and they're the special people that only they know how to do it. So we all have to, you know, bow to their authority because we're too stupid to, to know what they're doing and it's for the better of everybody anyways right even though as picasso points out right it's it's not transhumanism it's dehumanism right yeah hmm. and they also like as well as religion they also steal all the rhetoric from the natural world you know like apple uh amazon the cloud there's so many there somebody made a list of them once and it's crazy oh, well, Snowflake, uh, isn't that like a data thing that uh, it sells data to all the companies? Like they, they analyze data and sell it. Uh, Snowflake. But in the apple is another. That's another biblical imagery. It's the, yeah. it's the apple with a bite out of it, right? And what? And if you in the book of Genesis, when Eve goes to eat the apple, they say, "No, we're not supposed to do that." God says, "We'll die," and then Lucifer says, "No, he's lying to you. He knows you'll be like him." In other words. He knows you'll be your own God, and it's the fruit of the tree of knowledge, right? And, you know, there's a whole Gnostic inversion of that, which is, you know, these, they're Luciferians, they're, they're Satanists, and that's, they basically flip it around. They say that God kept us in a prison, and that, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the Genesis story, that Lucifer freed Adam and Eve from the prison um, by giving them the, the, the fruit of knowledge, and there's a whole, there's a whole school of that in which, um, you know, the Gnostics therefore felt that the physical world was actually a prison, right? The material world was a prison and you had to get out of it. So I, I often think of the metaverse as 
you know, whatever, whatever was the esoteric realm that they thought you were supposed to get to, that's the place where you can be whatever you want, do whatever you want, quite, quite literally, right? Oh, cast a different light on like that first Apple MacBook Pro that I bought when I was like 20. You know what's funny? Uh, so because there, I've seen more uh, articles about that metaverse situation and, and how like people, you know, are doing horrible things right to each other. And, and then I saw something about someone calling for a constitution for the metaverse. Yeah, I heard some about like you know all sorts of property rights. There was this thing on London Real was promoting it. It was like we need to keep the metaverse open. Like it's it's good as long as it's open and we got property rights. And I guess now a constitution and, and stuff like that as, as well. So, uh. I mean, if there's real estate, of course there's going to be property rights and. And then they I, I, they they were speculating or rather you know pontificating on. How to give pers- personhood rights to artificial intelligence? So you know, I'm, I'm sure what NPCs, non-player characters, or these you know avatars that are in there that, that are not connected to another body, but you know are are a, a life form according to you know the new digital paradigm. And so you know those those entities, whatever you want to call them, they should have rights as well, right? Even though we have, really- I mean, they gave personhood to corporations, so it's not really that far of a stretch, right? No, no, no it's not. Even though we haven't figured out how to give rights to uh, regular humans, we can give them the companies <laughs> pretty good. So, you know, they probably do a pretty good job giving the, the robots and the, uh, the AI uh, <laughs> human rights. We're taking away rights to push us to this digital world, right? Yeah. Yes, we're taking away rights from actual physical bodies in order to push people into having some liberties, more freedom when they can be stripped, like be stripped of the of the physical world. Let me uh, let me go ahead and hit the last yeah. one, the last art piece here. Okay, and this is this is the Jackson Pollock painting. This is abstract. I knew that was going to be the next one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and so what is he like? Forties, fifties? Yeah, I, said, I think it said nineteen fifty one. Did it? Did it, did it have? Uh, yeah. Okay. And so I mean, so here's a, so so one thing you should know is you should also know about the technique that he uses for this. This is called the drip method. So he takes a can of paint and he puts it on a rope and then he lets the rope swing. And so he's not painting it, right? So in other words, oh, first of all, there's no there's no focal point here, okay, right? So we've gone from data points to, right, geometry that's all, data points that are blurred to geometry that's all scrambled to now we don't have data points or geometry, right? And so at least in the other pictures, you had a focal point. Right now, if you were to go in on the impressionist painting, you would lose the focal point. And you know, if you were to look at the cubist paintings, I mean, stuff was overlapped, but there was still something that would catch your eyes, such as the woman on the stairs. Right, you could you could make a woman out of that. Right, you could mm-hmm. make you could you could make some of the um, um, the um, the bulls, the animals, and the people, and the buildings, and the other one. Right, just scramble, but you could make stuff up. There's nothing to make out here. All right, there's there's and if you look at it, and you just kind of like let your eyes relax, like a like a, a magic eye painting. You'll notice that like the black comes out at one point, and then the red will come out, and then the white will sort of stand out, right? And like if you if you sort of let them 
let them relax. So like, depending on how your eyes are fixated, it's something, something totally different. Right. And so basically what's suggested here, right. At this point is not only, you know, have we gotten to the point where, you know, our, our data points, our zeros and ones, our symbols, our, our broken lines are not representing anything cohesive, anything that we could recognize as human or natural or, or in, in nature, anything that we could give a name to, but even the artist himself is removed from it in the sense that, right. There's no intention. Like I'm going to put this line here. Then I'm going to put that line there. Like even that is removed from it. So even, even the subjective part of the, the creative process has been removed. So it's just color. It's just random color all slopped together. Right. And so, you know, so, so to, so to complete the analogy, right. If you take that dowel out of the middle of those, those broken lines and solid lines in those zeros and ones, then, you know, you could say that this is sort of the representation of what a transhuman identity is, right? And depending on how you let your eyes focus, it's it's the black lines or it's the red lines or it's the white lines or it's the yellow lines. Mm. Right? It's, it's however you're however you you're focusing in the moment. And you know, to tie it back into the you know transgender thing, right? There's there's people that to change their pronouns on a different on a given day, right? They might feel more feminine one day or more masculine another day. And so it's sort of, you know, the idea and in the metaverse, right? I want to be Frosty the Snowman one day and I want to be the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man another day, right? Well, so then what, a, how does it complicate this or maybe like even just support it further, right? When we think about, wasn't the CIA like all up in like expressionist art, Jackson Pollock, like wasn't he like funded and... Yeah, and you know, I, I've I've often speculated this. Like, so you, know, you think about like if you were to present that to the average person that has no artistic training, doesn't understand all the stuff we talked about, art history, focal points, color, balance, rhythm, texture. They don't, you know, they don't. They can't look at it and go, "Oh, it's so interesting," because he's playing with all these traditions and moving them around. And so you're like, "What am I looking? At? Like, this is not aesthetically pleasing. Like, this doesn't, this doesn't, like, it doesn't." make any doesn't speak to anything sort of organically in me right so it's, it's to use the analogy of like you know the golden mean and things that like just just sort of psychologically or i guess naturally tend to be aesthetically pleasing and the way that the way that it's popularized right is usually is being promoted uh and you know you just you just noted you know intelligence promotion but i mean you know also monetary right so you so you get a gallery you get some, just like a roscoe's or i'm sorry uh the rivera stuff right you get some you get some rich funders you put some money into it you, you know his stuff's actually cool to look at you regardless of how you you know think about it i mean this this i i, I uh <laughs> it's interesting but you know, like i said it's not something i would like look at on my wall and feel like you know like uh, aesthetically pleased on but but the idea is if you can fund it Right. And you can get like people to sell it for a million dollars. Well, hey, don't you want one, too? Because it's that's it's worth money and that uh, has a status. And think about the NFTs right now. Right. Like who like, like there's like an NFT for like Jack Dorsey's first tweet. Who cares? Like who really cares? Well, if you if you add if you say it's worth a million dollars, a lot of people will care. And if you buy a property in the metaverse, you got Snoop Dogg on it and it's you know millions of dollars then a lot of people start to care. 
So, you know, people that were like, why do I want to be a Lego character in some digital world and get a headache with my Oculus on all day? Well, because you can get rich and hang out with Snoop Dogg, right? And it's like, to me, I, I see the same, to me, I see the same um, sort of operation, right? This The, the same, prom being promoted in the same way in order to get people, you know, to, to transition us to this next philosophical phase is this next phase and you know transhumanism well and this was this was all like anti-communist stuff wasn't it i'm like so uneducated in terms of art history but i remember reading about um about pollock and like some of those like early moma artists in um francis stoner saunders book i forget the name of it like all about the um you know, like um, Cold War era, like funding of um, artists and writers and all of that. But I wish I yeah, I don't know enough about the specifics either, but I, I, I have, I do remember that. Yes. And I actually have a Congress for cultural freedom, right? That's what it was. Yeah. 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 So for me, um, you know, just taking from that point, uh, Jake, um, you know, the, the way I understand history world is that, <clears throat> sorry, art represents the, the values and interests of the ruling class. That's how I see it, you know, and whether it be the church, whether it be the feudal lords, the kings and queens that commission this stuff, you know, art does uh, point to power um, because there, a lot of things get produced, but you do need money, you do need prestige, you need, uh, you know, access. To be able to survive the, that, you know, and be more prominent, and so it does show, you know, that that you know the, the thoughts and ideas and aspirations of a ruling class, and, and you know, I think that's uh, um, very signaling of where the hell we're going right now. <laughs> you know, when you when you mentioned the NFTs uh, and. You know, and also I, I think of my friends who are artists, you know, and going to school right now and they're painting on iPads, you know, and. And they closed the, all the like small local art studios. So it has, they have to be on iPads. And so, you know, um, there is definitely, you know, like uh, this has been, because I, I do think, I think of the average people, right? I, I'm not going to pretend like I know every average person, but like you said like most of us don't understand this stuff i didn't understand jackson pollock i did i did know about the, this uh again um that the, the cia and the u.s government was uh, funding this as a counterweight to you know what was going on in the soviet union and uh but again those are two ruling classes fighting each other right and um and so Again, it is very symbolic. It's not the average person doesn't spend time on this. You know, our relationships are more organic. Our day to day are about survival. Are about more human. You know, uh, than you know, these people who have the key to be able to understand all this. You know, uh, the, what's what's said. The you know the traditions. The, the you know the the influences that have produced the art of the moment. And um, and so I do see that because, you know, I do think the ruling class of our, our, our time who are we, we are fighting, you know, the, the ones that are going to dominate our lives and our future are the techno, you know, centric people, 
you know, and, and, and everything that we discuss is at stake, you know, here, you know, and, and, and so we will have to have these conversations. What the hell does it mean to be human? You know, maybe, uh, or maybe just say, fuck it. This is who I am. I don't want that shit, you know, and, and I don't need to explain it to you, <laughs> you know, in, in some way, but, um, either way, um, you know, there is a ruling class to me, you know, we just, I think some people are trying to figure that out. And, um, and again, in this whole COVID journey, you know, um, I, uh, you know, I, 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 I think that I've, I've, <laughs> I've had to face myself, you know, and, and, and looking at the mirror, you know, uh, to see who I am, just like Lipson. And I think it's a constant thing. And, um, but, but I personally think that requires human interaction, you know, and, uh, and a personal interaction and, and, and the exchange of those, like, again, spiritual things that I, that I, because we don't have to know, you know, that they work, but they work, they have worked for thousands of years, you know, and, um, and I personally don't want to lose that. I, I don't think that's, you know, whatever this transhuman world or future is, um, you know, it's, uh, will liberate us in any way, you know, and whatever. But uh, I guess uh, I'm just saying that it's important to understand this uh, in order to understand the future, right? Just like any history, you know, to kind of have make predictions and theorize and be a little conspiratorial, you know, about what, what may be coming. So we maybe are ready, you know, in some way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, to, you know, Bill, know what you said about, you know, ruling class, you know, shaping the art. And if you go back to that first painting I showed, the uh, this one here, uh, the, you know, uh, School of Athens, right? This is coming out of the Renaissance period during the the uh, the reign of the Medici's, and the Medici's were bankers that took over the the papacy. And so, what you're seeing here is, you know, sort of a, right. This this was very much, you know, uh, financed by you know the basically the international bankers of the time. And then the guy in the middle, that, you know, Plato himself, um, you know, in his Republic. I mean, this is this is a staple for eugenicists you know, to tie it back into transhumanism, uh, he literally, in there, he has a parable of the metals. And so he says, you know, well, first of all, we should say this, tied into COVID. He talks about the noble lie. So first you have to, like, and before you can shape the people the way you want them, put them into these gold, silver, and bronze classes, which is the the philosopher kings, which is, you know, him and his buddies, because they're better than everybody, and then the warriors in the middle, and then the husbandmen and the, the um, uh, iron workers and things right? so the, so the workers at the bottom but before you can do that you had to you had to trick them into thinking that they were all uh basically said you'd have you, you would you would have the smart you'd have people breeding in uh in these like orgies in which you didn't know who you were sleeping with so you didn't know who was the parent and then they would raise them by the, in in basically like the state facilities and then you would lie to them and tell them they were they were all you know, each class came from the earth from these different elements, and you know the metal, the, the gold, the bronze, and the silver, uh, which is the noble lies. But I just think about COVID because you know what I mean. It's this oh we gotta we gotta do all this because you know we'll all get sick and die if we don't. 
Uh, and then basically you have, you know, you have a caste system and selective breeding at the end of it ruled by philosopher kings, just replace philosopher kings with scientists, right? And it's, it's, it's almost the exact same thing. If you, in all, all this Huxley's, you know, all his Fabian buddies like H.G. Uh, uh, Wells, uh, he, he really loved uh, Plato's Republic, but uh, Huxley and, and, and Russell, right? They, all, all those, they, they all wanted to sort of see like, hey, we got all this new technology now during the you know the early industrial revolution of the 20th century. Like, let's see if we can actually do this, right? Let's see if we can piece this together. And now we're in the, the digital age. And so we're, that's it's pretty much, you know, pretty much what we're doing. And in both cases, it's the ruling class. All three I guess maybe we shouldn't be so surprised that virtually none of the artists, or at least none of the highly visible artists really have spoken out or dissented in any way. Yeah, I mean, if you can go back to that Pollock one, I don't, you're right, I, I don't have a focal point for this thing and I don't know what to make of it. It is interesting to me that you describe his process as sort of, sep as almost getting the creator out of it, taking the, taking, you know, taking the intent of a creator um, out of it. Um, and I and I go back to when we talked about Marx and labor and that human labor is connected to human creativity and that human creativity, at least in the doing, is connected to what probably Marx would have described as part of your essence, you know, how you, what you do. And, and I do think there's a piece missing there in terms of thought and things like that. But I, I do agree with that notion of uh, like that, that human creativity and human and human action and what, what you do is a part of what you are. Uh, and that capitalism separates, separates it from us, makes it, it makes it somebody else's thing that they own and you just earn a wage. And that's, that's your, you get the dollar dollars back. But what comes up for me in looking at this and thinking about say modern art. Um, and there's that kind of joke of, of modern art where it, people just talk about it. There's a way that elite people, I think of academia and I think of elites, talking about these things and using it to essentially create a giant trick on everyone that there's something meaningful, something valuable, something like it, it's sort of a, a thing that people kind of look at and we think, we think all oh, the jokes on them, but I really do think of this moment right now where academia and elites are playing a giant trick on us and they are running the show with that trick. And rather than thinking about, that process as me laughing at them, their ability to do that, their ability to, to, to get people to say, let's look at this and you can pay 3 million for that or 6 million for that or 20 million for that. That's just not a game that they're playing among the, among the wealthy. I do feel like that is an indic indicative of, of, of a kind of an, ide an ideological game that we've been trapped in for quite some time that is playing out now. Um, and that these same people who would pay, who would, fool themselves and fool us into thinking that there's something going on when they pay millions of dollars for, for something that there was nothing in it. No, 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 nothing meaningful in that, in that artwork. Um, I somehow feel like there's something related to what they've been able to do to us today um, in terms of just being able to fool us and trick us and make us think that the sky is on the ground and the ground is in the sky. I want, I, does somebody else want to comment? Because I want to read you part of 1984 because it's exactly what you're, you're saying right now. 
Huh. Well, I just I was just thinking about the fact that I remember reading that almost none of the abstract expressionists like Pollock and Co attended the March for Washington, um, March on Washington. And you would think, you know, like 60s, like all of this artwork was supposed to be about, you know, freedom and expression. And yeah, I mean, all of those like 60s values, um, but almost none of them did. Reminds me of a lot of the musicians that I grew up listening to right now, where you would think would be the, would be screaming at the top of their lungs. I'm like, I'd be like, oh, where where are you? Where are you? No, they're they're getting rid of drummers who don't get facts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me let me let me look at this. Uh, so what you had said about this whole you know messing with the mind. You know, the other thing I'll note too as I transition here is that, and it you know it reinforces class division because. It's insiders and outliers, like, you know, the, the, the elites, so to speak, right? The intellectual elites, where the money elite, right? Can sit and they don't understand it, right? They don't understand it, ha, 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 you know? And, and, and sort of like thumb their nose at the, you know, the bumpkins, the, the rubes or whatever, the, the unwashed. Uh, so in 1984, it ends like, this is almost the last chapter. And this is the part where, so uh, Winston is the main character, and O'Brien is um, is the guy that he thinks is you know like uh, helping him, right? He thinks he's on his side, but really O'Brien is is part of the party. So now O'Brien's got him down in the Ministry of Love. He's torturing him, and he's torturing him, and he's trying to get Winston to reprogram his double think so that he believes all the party slogans, all the contradictions like war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. And he wants him to ultimately love big brother and basically love his slavery. And what this is right here is a big, uh, it's, it's sort of a, a dialogue uh, on exactly what we're talking about. Psychological war, but basically uh, brainwashing or double think by means of solipsism right or or utter relativism so removing the metaphysics removing the essence of truth and just having data points referring to each other and it's whatever the party says the data points mean is what it is there's no there's no external uh ob objective way to disprove them all right and so i'm, I'm just going to read a little bit of it so they so say he's he's sitting here i gave you the context he, this is o'brien talking he says we we are the priests of power, he said. God is power, but at present, power is only a word so far as you are concerned. It is time for you to gather some idea of what power means. The first thing you must realize is that power is collective. The individual only has power insofar as he ceases to be an individual. You know the party slogan, freedom is slavery. Has it ever occurred to you that it is reversible? Slavery is freedom. Alone, free, the human being is always defeated. It must be so. Because every human being is doomed to die, which is the greatest of all failures. But if he can make complete, utter submission, if he can escape from his identity, if he can merge himself in the party so that he is the party, then he is all-powerful and immortal. The second thing for you to realize is that power is power over human beings, over the body, but above all, over the mind. Power over matter, external reality, as you would call it, is not important. 
Already our control over matter is absolute. For a moment, Winston ignored the dial. That's the dial that's always electrocuting him with electrodes. He's turning it up and shocking him. Uh, he made a violent effort to raise himself in a sitting position and merely succeeded in wrenching his body painfully. And this is Winston talking. He says, but how can you control matter? He burst out. You don't even control the climate or the law of gravity. And there are disease, pain, death. O'Brien silenced him by a movement of his hand. We control matter because we control the mind. Reality is inside the skull. You will learn by degrees, Winston. There is nothing that we could not do. Invisibility, levitation, anything. I could float off this floor like a soap bubble if I wished to. I do not wish to because the party does not wish it. You must get rid of those 19th century ideas about the laws of nature. We make the laws of nature. And you know, he, he goes on and on and, and touches on a lot. But basically, uh, you can see down there, he says, nothing exists except through human consciousness. And so, uh, you know, this, this whole idea of basically reality is determined by what the party says and basically and the degree to which all of the subjects re reflexively repeat it. So he's getting him to, you know, uh, lose his identity in this doublespeak rhetoric. This guy's basically claiming that he's that he's God. And there's if I scroll down, there's a part where they even say, okay, so the old civilizations claim that they were founded on love or justice. Ours is founded upon hatred. In our world, there will be no emotions except fear, rage, triumph, and self-abasement. Everything else we shall destroy, everything. Already we are breaking down the habits of thought which have survived from before the revolution. We have cut the links between child and parent and between man and man and between man and woman. No one dares trust a wife or a child or a friend any longer. But in the future, there will be no wives and no friends. Children will be taken from their mothers at birth as one takes eggs from a hen. Sex instinct will be eradicated. Procreation will be an annual formality like the renewal of a ration card. We shall abolish the orgasm. Our neurologists are at work upon it now. There will be no loyalty except loyalty towards the party. There will be no love except the love of big brother. There will be no laughter except the laughter of triumph over a defeated enemy. There will be no art, no literature, no science. When we are omnipotent, we shall have no more need of science. There will be no distinction between beauty and ugliness. There will be no curiosity, no enjoyment of the process of life. All competing pleasures will be destroyed. And so, I mean, you can sort of think of, just think of the, the art, right? I mean, by the end of it, right, that, that Pollock painting, you can sort of decide, right? No art, no science, no logic, no truth, no, no essence, no substance, you know, and Ultimately, he's even talking about, right, I mean, tying into the whole transgender uh, and transhuman thing, right? No, no human relationships, no procreation, uh, everything basically funneled through the, the world, the paradigm that is created by the propaganda and the rhetoric of the party. And that becomes the reality that the people live in. That's a depressing thing to end on. We should do a whole episode just on 1984. <laughs> it's so cool. Oh, yeah, and I should add one more thing is, you know, when he says, you know, so, uh, you know, the whole thing, two plus two equals uh, five, right? Or, you know, and he later says to the effect, you know, freedom is the ability to say that two plus two equals four. And it's actually a play on Bertrand Russell's, I, I think it's Principia Mathematica, but it's his philosophy of math. And he's got it's like a tone like this. And the whole thing is him trying to prove 
objectively that one plus one equals two. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, it's, it's it's one of these, I mean, it's this super, you know, make your head spin type, you know, uh, convoluted argument sort of, you know, it reminds me of David Hume, like questioning basic things like causality. And so he's, he's sort of taking a, a, a nod at, um, at Russell, right? And, and Russell was one of these, these guys that was, uh, it was, it was all about eugenics with, with Huxley and all that, so. Well, I, would, I think we should probably wrap up, but I want to stay with this thing that you just ended on, this joyful part of 1984. Um, because I do think, like I can see, or it, it makes some sense for me to talk about, if you can get me to, to separate from myself, from from anything that I think of as me as myself, and you can get it outside my body, then you can essentially unmoor me from from reality. You can make it make it like the world he was describing. He could not as he that person the in 1984, the bad guy, could just as easily be he could have just as easily been talking about the metaverse right there. Um and the I can see how it if I, if I don't have anything in myself, like intuition or a body feeling that's connected to an experience, experience, um, I don't know how you know, I don't know where you center yourself around, around your own truth or, and so I can see how, how that is the, a world that is a world of, it's a totalitarian world. It's a world of how, how you might control people because you can separate them from, from themselves. I should also note that one of the, the keys be right before this is the end. And uh, I think there's one more scene after, I think it's after, it might be, before, no, it's gotta be after. The, the, when they know they got him broken is when they can get him to denounce this, the girl that he's, that he's has a relationship with. And they're like, when they get caught, they're like the one thing, no matter what they do, they can't get, they can't take that. They can't take our love. They can't get inside there and do that and, and, and mess with that. And ultimately he does. He, he gets a, he, he puts a rat in a box and puts it on, on a helmet on him. And he, he basically confesses or, or rats out, uh, pun, no pun intended, the person he loves. And when he does that, and he, and that severs the, the human relationship with her. And that's when he's broken. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's sort of, you know, just to, to build on, uh, on what you're saying there. I think so. There was a movie version, like a Hollywood rendition of 1984, and this was like Cold Cold War era, I believe, as well. Um, and I know they want it. I, if I remember rightly, I think there was like intelligence, or at least alleged intelligence involvement, as is usually the case in Hollywood. <laughs> and they wanted to end the movie Hollywood version of the film with. Winston, like, even though he's been defeated and whatever, they wanted to end it with him, like, looking at his hand and, like, knowing that, you know, even though he can't say it, like, knowing that two plus two is four, right? And then there was going to be, like, um, I think, like, the sound of, like, a human heart beating or so, some, like, you know, just um, super heavy-handed um which is like it's so counter to like the whole point right and and orwell like explicitly denied the possibility that you know the whatever the human is right that it that that we could hold out and like not be defeated by big brother uh like it's such a bleak (laughs) 
bleak ending in the real in the real text. Um, yeah. he's he's an interesting character. I, I haven't done enough research on his life, but like so Huxley, I know he he, he was all about eugenics. He, he he thought it was a great idea. I got all all these books, all one, two, three, four, five, six of these are his nonfiction essays. All right, he talks about scientific aristocracy, a scientific caste system. Um, you know the. There's an article, a, a note on eugenics. And when you read some of the stuff he says, it's like, dude, that's like, that's basically exactly in chapter one, all right? Or that that part's in chapter two. Well, with Orwell, um, you know, so he so he had the ties to, uh, so he so he fought in the uh, against against Franco, right? And he was uh, as a, and he was a socialist, uh, and he you know basically he was with the loyalists, so he came in contact with Stalin's folks. Uh, but he also worked at the BBC, uh, and so right, he, he had his, his own experience with you know how the Stalin's regime worked, and you know in terms of surveillance and all that. He knew how the doublespeak worked at the BBC, um, and you know he had MI6 or MI5, one of them, maybe both of them, tailing him. But one of the interesting things about him is that he ratted out a bunch of uh, socialists at one point, and so a lot of people you know read it and they're like read him like I read Huxley, which is like, you know, it's, it's the, the book was designed to, you know, I mean, we, we read it like a warning, but it's really just <laughs> meant to break you like O'Brien breaks Winston because they're like you said, there's no hope at the end. Well, and it makes you think about right now, like everybody has a breaking point. Yeah. I, um, I think that, you know, said a lot. <laughs> Uh, my, I have my partner holding my hand right now, pulling me away from my digital friends <laughs> to feed my essence. <laughs> that's uh, that's what I had to say. That's good way in. <laughs> what I enjoyed was just the the. It, I just kept coming back to who am I, and I better than that the way it was in the digital ID, like really asking that question on a more deeper level. So. Um, I thought that was really useful for me. Awesome. Um, Jessica, anything else? No, I'm good. My essence is also hungry to have lasagna. Yes, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap up. So that does it for this week's episode. What's Left is a weekly political podcast channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes wherever you found this episode or on our blog, what-s-left.webnode.com. You can find past episodes to this podcast channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything you've heard here, um, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our nine platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Telegram, and now Rumble. Um, and if you'd like to give us any feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. Um, once again, Jake, thank you very much. Jessica and Kenny, thanks for being part of this. And um, we're not sure what we'll do next week, but we're gonna be figuring it out now and we'll see you then.